1: Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Michael Mendeza, the editor of the book, The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce, Astonishing Capacities and Self-Inflicted Limitations. I'm speaking with Michael at his home by remote connection. Welcome, Michael, to the New Dimensions Cafe.
2: Justine, it's really a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.
1: It's my pleasure as well. I'd like to ask you, why did you feel compelled to put together this book featuring the work of Joseph Chilton Pierce, and what do you believe is the importance of his work?
2: I've been an archivist in a way. As a documentary filmmaker, I've been recording, um, I think, some of the leading uh, visionaries of the last half of the 20th century and into the 21st. And what has become apparent is that um, with each new generation, they don't know who Joseph Chilton Pierce is. They don't know some of the names that are common to us. And so you have to reincarnate their wisdom and their vision in terms that the next generation can appreciate and access and, and do that. So there's a conversion or a translation or, or a repackaging, if you want to call it that way, of, of, the, of this wisdom, because the wisdom is timeless and urgent and being missed because people don't know the name. So that's what this book is, and the other reason for this book is that many people who know Joe and have read a book may have read a book. They read Crack in the Cosmic Egg or Magical Child or Evolution's End or one of his many works, but they, it's like The Blind Man and the Elephant. Um, they say, well, Joe's this or Joe's that. They don't have the big picture. They don't have that each of these books that Joe wrote were part of one book which was his life's passionate inquiry. So it was important for people who, who, who are being introduced to Joe and even for people who know his work to have a broad overview of the major themes and how those themes opened and evolved with the unfolding of each of his new works. So that was it. It was twofold. One was to reintroduce to a new generation who Joe is, and the other was to Help them get a broad overview of the major themes that he touched on in each of the works.
1: And you mentioned how the wisdom is timeless, and you also use the word urgent. Urgent, yes. So can you go more deeply into why this work of this pioneer is urgent in these days?
2: Yes. Well, as you all probably know, we are facing this sixth-grade extinction the likelihood of humanity and most other species um, making it another 150 years or so is in question. So that means that this particular generation of young people is the tipping point and will determine to a great extent how humanity goes or doesn't. David Orr uh, was an environmental educator, brilliant guy. He wrote a book called Earth in Mind in 1994. And he observed in that book that all of our major crises from world wars to the Holocaust to Chernobyl to um, Monsanto, all of these things um, were created by very educated people. So it's not education that we're lacking. What's lacking is an education of a certain kind. Now, Joe is really talking about what that other kind of experience is that may provide the key to humanity's survival. It's as broad as that. If we just continue to do what we have done, um, the likelihood of us surviving is remote. We're placing our bets on technology, being able to save the day at the at the end of the, the ninth inning. Um, but the likelihood of that is quite remote. Um, so Joe is offering a completely different paradigm on how humanity can actually flourish and grow and Uh, touch those astonishing capacities that he was talking about.
1: This just reminds me of something that I, I wrote down from the book. It is kind of a shocking part where he says, hope is our greatest enemy and negative culture always wins. The only way out is a total embracing of radical despair where no hope exists at all. Then you let go. And in the letting go, that emptiness of ego and intellect, something completely new emerges. To let go in this way requires a highest degree of nurturing. Without that, the survival defense system locks us back into fear, the very fear that feeds and sustains negative culture. So I just like, wait a minute, we need to be hopeful. And this is saying... No, if we just keep doing what we've been doing, that's not going to be sufficient. We have to break out of that. Like the caterpillar has to let go of all hope of being a caterpillar, and it has to dissolve into liquid in order to become that butterfly. And I think maybe that's what this quote is referring to, something like that. Can can you help me yeah, out I'll here? Yeah, I'll
2: do the best I can. It's a tricky play on words, and, and he raised a lot of eyebrows uh, when he shared that. You could look at it that hope is within the cosmic egg that he used as a reference, right? So, like, And you use the butterfly or the caterpillar as that construct. So you were quite right. The caterpillar has to let go of the hope of retaining its caterpillarness in order to be the butterfly. So hope becomes putting the brake on transformation instead of liberating it. Hope is an extension of the problem, is basically what he's talking about. And in the in the Buddhist tradition, basically, you're really negating those constructs. You're negating the ego, you're negating culture, you're negating these things. You know, if you see Buddha kill him, you're <laughs> negating e- that image that you have of Buddha. So all of that negation is, is closing down the intellect, um, shall we say, the misdefined intellect. Intellect is a tool. It's a great tool. It's a miraculous tool. It's a great thing to have. However, we treat it incorrectly. We treat the, the constructs of the intellect, which are just mental images, as though their constructs were real instead of play. And that's the fundamental error that creates the ego and most of our problems are centered in that false identity. So once that's negated, this is what Krishnamurti called silence. The Buddhists call it emptiness. And this is what Joe is referring to, that letting go of of that construct opens human potential and perception to everything that that construct has been excluding. How do we break through culture? How do we break through our false identity? That's really what Joe is really focusing on in in all of his works and also the corollary with the Buddhist tradition, etc. How do we break through this false identity that we have carried forth for centuries and millennia?
1: So this is where possibly the activity of meditation or in the Christian sense contemplation might be helpful in giving us a sense of just being and allowing an openness in our consciousness rather than that busy, busy mind, we call it monkey mind, is going all the time.
2: I use the word state-specific. David Bowman and I talked about this, right? So meditation is a state. It's not content. Thought is a state. And in that state is the bubbling up of all of these conditioned memories and so on and so forth. It's limited. It's its own framework. It's very mechanistic. And intelligence is not thought. That's the big realization that thought is machine. So you move th- that construct of thought and you put it in a machine and it can calculate and do its thing much faster, but it's still limited and it's still contained in this mechanical structure, which excludes true intelligence. So what we need is a shift out of our identity with thought, ego, culture, and those images. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Christian. I'm Michael, right? We need to negate that before we open up the doors of perception to actually see what we are, which is entangled nature. Our nature is nature. Our nature is not thought and machine. Thought and machine are tools, but we treat the tools as though it were the leader or the governor or the, the general. That's basically my take on that.
1: So what I get from that, having access to lots of information, which we have instant access, and we, we think we're really smart then, but you said the intellect is not intelligence. Correct. Well, what is intelligence, and how can we tap into that?
2: Well, in, in all the traditions, basically, you want to negate the false use of intellect, the false use of it, the misunderstood use of intellect. Intellect has abstracted itself, or shall we say the mental images that the intellect draws upon, has fragmented and reflects back on its own activity and creates the thinker, which is the ego. This was one of Krishnamurti's core insights. So now you've got a thinker, and that thinker becomes Buddhism, or that thinker becomes uh, nationalism, or becomes uh, being a Republican. And we identify with this false identity that we have created, and the whole system gets corrupted. The whole structure... The tool gets corrupted in that in, with the not understanding what the true nature of the system is. And all of that is a limited process. It's a wonderful tool, but it's like the Sorcerer's Apprentice and Mickey Mouse chopping up, and all of a sudden, you know, the spell goes crazy. Well, that's our consciousness. But there is another state of consciousness, which Joe and I call primary. Primary perception is what we're going to call intelligence. Now, intellect becomes a tool that can be informed. Bohm talked about this. Insight informs intellect and brings it back into order. Insight into the structure of thought itself brings thought back into its proper order because it's no longer diluting itself into thinking that it's something that it's not. But you have to negate the false reality that the intellect creates in order to have the brain and mind see what i'm going to call this primary or its true nature we think that the thought realm is reality and it's only when that reality becomes quiet or still which mindfulness brings about that you open yourself up to a different state of mind which i'm going to call primary perception we can call it intelligence many names have been used for it so Enlightenment is actually realizing directly the limitations of thought and having it take its proper place. That's enlightenment. It's not a new concept. Enlightenment isn't, oh, I'm enlightened because I have this great new concept. It's actually (laughs) understanding the true nature of what the thought process is and how it works, because then it shuts up, it goes away, it becomes quiet, because there's this infinite potential that has been excluded by the noise of the intellect.
1: So there is hope for us. I'll go back to the word hope. Uh, there is hope for us if we allow that moment to let go of our intellect for a while or our rational process
2: and just be in the moment. We don't want to demonize intellect. Intellect is a great tool. It's a wonderful thing. It's just that we don't know how it functions. We haven't really studied how thought, this was one of Bohm's major theses. He wrote a book called Thought as a System that really looked at this rather carefully. They go into the nature of consciousness. They look at how thought works, how mechanical it is, how the eye creates certain images, how the ear creates certain images, um, how the brain works. So that they have a very detailed description of how the system works. So they can distinguish when it's working correctly and when it's not. And the second thing they do is that they begin to systematically use a form of logic to negate the false structures or false images or false beliefs that thought habitually produces. So they want to first understand it. it takes the capacity for attention to do that. So mindfulness is the cultivation of that attention. That's it. That's what it's doing, cultivating attention. Number two, they use a strict form of dialogue with oneself to negate the false images that you have about self and others. Now, if you gather attention and you get rid of all the false trash that we've been deluding ourselves for centuries, what do you have left? You have entrained intelligence, appropriateness. You have vast capacity for goodness, to use Krishnamurti's word. And that's all you have left. You you don't have to work at it. There isn't any other game except wholeness. And that's what the Bodhisattva is about. And that's where Joe's astonishing capacities and self-inflicted limitations describes.
1: Wow. You just took us on a magical ride there. I want to thank you so much, Michael, for your insight and your ability to convey that insight to us. Thank you so much.
2: I've had a pretty good teacher's. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've been speaking with Michael Mendiza. He's the editor of the book, The Life and Insights, of Joseph Chilton Pierce, Astonishing Capacities and Self-Inflicted Limitations. If you want to learn more about his work and the collection of recordings, you can go to touchthefuture.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, where you'll find many interviews with Joseph Chilton Pierce and David Bohm, Christian and others. That's NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. I invite you to please join us again.
0: You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe.